Hi, I'm Lauren Yoshiko. And this is Menle Golakai Agri, and you're listening to Broccoli Talk, a podcast for cannabis lovers. So it's been a pretty big week for all things green, from 420 and Earth Day to our episode today that talks a lot about these elements. Yeah, happy belated 420 to everybody. We hope you had a cute little little quarantined holiday. I did an interview with Imelda Wallavalkar, the co-founder and CEO of Pure Beauty, one of our favorite flower brands out of California, and I'm stoked for you guys to hear the conversation. They're running a really interesting operation, and it's exciting to see the way they're pairing art and creativity with social and environmental responsibility in a pretty authentic way. I think there's a lot of tension between walk or talking the talk and walking the walk in cannabis and uh, pretty much in commerce in general, especially right now, that uh, we really got get into and it felt really satisfying to hash that out. I've been looking forward to this episode primarily because I feel like I always have this a strong affinity for indoor growers, especially because I think, you know, a lot of indoor farming techniques are based on practices that might not be sustainable. There's so much fucking energy that you need, you know, to keep ballast and lights on and lots of energy when it comes to water and that consumption. But what has me sprung is just sort of the techniques that they've been able to use that mimic sustainable agricultural practices. You you know, maybe it's because it's my foundation of, of cultivating and, and the industry in general, but I think sort of shedding a light on the way you can grow indoors um, commercially, um, it can also be sort of a sustainable thing. So this is our first interview in COVID times, and this means that our guests aren't being recorded professionally like usual. So this episode sounds a little differently than what you're used to, um, but we'll continue dialing it in. Otherwise, what else is new in your home life, Menle? How are you doing? Um, same old, same old, you know, a little bit of dipping and diving into forced meditation and yoga <laughs> um, and just trying to keep some social distancing within my home and outside, <laughs> you know, trying to make sure that the conversations I do have with people are meaningful. I think we've we've been very saturated with Zoom meetings and FaceTimes and stuff like that. And so being able to, I don't know, take a step back and really like have me- more meaningful conversations conversations, more quality conversations, and just less of them in general. Um, That's been really good for me. That's my personal update. Zoom fatigue arrived this week. (laughs) People just like got into that feverish of like, ooh, a happy hour. Oh, let's watch this together. I'm doing more video calls with my coworkers than I probably would have done in-person meetings at the average workday where we just wore headphones and figured shit out via internal Slack messaging. So um, I felt that. I felt that definitely of like I didn't talk to every single family member this week in comparison to the last few weeks of like steady, steady contact. But there's only so many times you can talk about what your trip to the grocery store was like. Our our day-to-days are truly so similar and so redundant right now that it is it is really weird to engage with other human beings is odd right now but this this conversation is going to be a good one are you ready to listen (laughs) i am ready let's do it Hi, 
Hi, my name is Imelda Wallabalker, and I am the co-founder of Pure Beauty. We're a flower brand based in Los Angeles, California. The way you guys have shown cannabis in kind of a different light has been really exciting. I remember when I first saw the Pure Beauty pack come out, it looked the most like a pack of cigarettes. Just that like portability, that familiar rectangle. Was it kind of uh, scary to go for that shape at first? You know, from the get-go, especially in the cannabis community, there is a stigma with cigarettes. For me as well, I hate cigarettes. Our whole thing was that we think that the form factor of the cigarette and the packaging and all of that is intrinsically very beautiful and objectively very beautiful. And for us, we wanted to take that form factor and kind of flip it on its head. And plus, we just liked the idea of people, you know, looking at one thing and thinking it's one thing, but it's actually something else. And then in terms of our boxes, I think that was just um, an aesthetic choice, but also a practical approach of just like, what is going to be the most minimal thing that we can do? What is the least packaging we can use? And we wanted to use paper, but not a lot of paper. So there was a lot of things that thought that went into our packaging, even though it looks very sort of straightforward and simple. And had you grown cannabis before this? It's interesting because my um, my partner, Tracy, who's also my husband, he had worked in a cannabis brand early on. And my dad, who's an engineer and he's retired, actually got really excited about it and started to grow in my childhood bedroom. And so I got a little bit involved on that level. And he's like super geeked out about it and built like actually a very beautiful indoor grow and the flower was amazing. And so I kind of helped on that level. And I've tried to grow in my backyard and um, in, a, in a pot and it's just, I'm, I'm not great at it. And so I have a lot of respect for the people that are growing it, including our partners who um, are doing a phenomenal job. Me too. I personally had never grown own cannabis like like a one or four plant situation at home and seeing how much attention they need like you can't you can't go a week you can't like get Mm -mm. a bunch of work done and (laughs) and ignore them for a couple weeks and go on vacation like it's just not how it works no they're like it's literally you have a baby yes Tell me a little more about your relationship with cannabis in general, because it sounds like you were definitely comfortable enough with it for your your family to have a, a grow going on inside. So tell me a bit about the history of your history with cannabis. Yeah. So um, from the first time I really discovered weed, it was kind of like falling in love for me. It kind of like you check all the boxes of everything I kind of care about in life. For example, alternative medicine is really important to me. Um just plants in general. I think the cannabis plant is so unique and beautiful. Social justice is something that is part of sort of the cannabis culture that is also very important to me. And then also kind of like mind expansion. I really love being high. Like not only is it fun, but it opens up my mind. And I think for a lot of people, it um, is pretty mind opening in ways that have been very kind of transformative and profound for me. Um, But it's interesting because before Pure Beauty, um, I was never really part of a weed community. I lived in New York City and none of my friends were really cannabis users. And so I was kind of like the lone cannabis user amongst all my friends and I would order delivery and I would smoke alone. Um, But it's funny now because I think that's why I always love meeting people who truly love weed. It's kind of like, oh, we have like this very important thing in common. It is. It's a pretty incredible visceral thing to just walk into a weed event of your community and know that there's already this common factor between everyone. And it really does like break down so many walls at once before you even start talking. It's crazy because I think so many people do pigeonhole it like there's still... Um, such a strong sort of like stereotype around the kind of person that that is a weed consumer. But I think just sort 
of being in the community, you realize like how diverse it is and how, you know, there's so many really smart people, so many really talented people, so many really fun, you know, it's just like, it's all across the gamut and you're all kind of connecting on this thing that you have a mutual understanding over. And it's like, it's very um, powerful and comforting. So speaking of stereotypes, when I look at the way we see cannabis grows, it's this spectrum from like super crunchy granola, hippie, outdoor, sun-grown vibes. And then on the other end, non-eco-friendly, super scientific indoor grows with like reputation for being major resource burners and more corporate, more serious. I think the way you guys eschewed that whole spectrum is really interesting. And I'm also super interested to understand that crazy water function going on. Like, talk to me about some of the tech that is happening at Pure Beauty. In my opinion, you know, no method of growing is intrinsically better than the other. It's just all about your own individual practices and how thoughtful they are. And, and then for me personally, how, how impactful they are on the environment. Um, and then ultimately, like how those practices translate into the quality of, of flower and grow that you have. And you're right, the indoor has a reputation for being sort of a resource suck. And that's why we're really proud of some of the things that we're doing. And I'm going to preface this by saying that these are not my inventions. These are all things that came from my partner. His name is Mike Mattioli, and he's a true genius. Um, and I know that word gets thrown around very loosely, but he is really good at thinking out of the box in the sense of like what he's done is taken really effective technologies from other industries and figured out ways to adapt them to a cannabis grow. So, for example, I think sort of the biggest criticism that um, people have around for indoor is the use of energy. But we create all of our um, electricity on site using micro turbines. So Mike got this idea when he was in Hawaii because they're, like he noticed that all of the big hotel groups there were using um, small like refrigerator size like micro turbine power because in Hawaii um, the grid is a little bit unreliable and also energy is really expensive. So he figured out a way to sort of e execute this for our grow which is um, a huge deal because even for electricity in general, when you're taking power from the grid, you lose up to 75% of that energy going from point A to point B. And then again, it's even more effective than a regular power plant would be. So that's kind of like a really major thing that, that we're doing and have figured out. In terms of the water thing, um, so I don't think many people realize like how thirsty cannabis plants are, but they generally take like 150 to 250 gallons of water per plant, per flower in their cycle. Some people estimate that that's up to 450 gallons. In a state like California, that's a huge deal because we're um, a drought state. So um, the, what we do is use HVAC and dehumidifiers to essentially just pull water from the air. And then it becomes this closed loop system where the plant excretes it and it, it's, it just kind of runs that way. And, and the water use, just to sort of back up a little bit, that's not just indoor, that's across all grows use that much water. Also kind of connected to water is runoff, which again, I don't think a lot of people think about. When you think about your flower, you know, it's been tested and it's clean and it's great that we have such strict guidelines around testing, but there's still fertilizers and nutrients that get put into the plants that then run off into the surrounding water supplies and create things like algae blooms. And the algae blooms become toxic to sort of the indigenous species. So um, with our grow, you know, there's no there's no runoff. And then you're also even like excluding yourself from the external environment. So we have friends that are cultivators that even if they're doing everything right, 
if another farm next to them isn't, they're getting heavy metals in their water or whatever. So, and then we also use um, beneficial insects like nematodes and roly polies that are sort of like natural predators to, to pests that eat our plants. And then, you know, we donate all our soil to public parks. And I think the thing to highlight here is that not just with our cultivation, but with everything, we never feel like we're done. It's just like we're always kind of trying to reflect on how we can how we can improve and do better. And this applies not just to our cultivation, but our packaging um, and our involvement with social issues, as well as our like artistic focus and all of that. I kind of identify as a hippie. You know, I shop at the farmer's market. I, I'm very hardcore about reading food labels and stuff. I think that there's a, a stereotypical aesthetic, and I think that you can have those sensibilities and not sort of exhibit as such. It's funny because I just got interviewed last week and um, by someone, and she was like, I had, she, she was like, oh, I had no idea. She had been interviewing just because she's like, I really like your weed and your packaging. And, and I started telling, I'm like, have you heard of our, about our cultivation? And I started telling her about it. And and she's like, oh, that's so interesting. And I forgot how she put it, but she was like, you don't seem like a socially conscious brand, you know? Yeah, it's true. And and, and it's actually been this like fear of mine that I've had too, because I'm like, we're kind of like very art focused and like a little bit progressive aesthetically. And people don't associate that necessarily with social consciousness. You know, there's kind of this like, we're not using craft paper, you know? And so there's this weird contra seeming contradiction in, in our vibe. But I think that that's what, you know, at first it might've been confusing for people, but I think now um, people are starting to actually appreciate that. I think your brand is a really great example of this tension in the concept of cannabis branding right now. The fact that you are looked at as like internal contradictions instead of just like a brand, that's so fascinating to me. And that reaction of that writer is exactly the consideration that people are trying to grapple with right now. So tell me more about those challenges, like both on the end of being taken seriously as a higher end cannabis brand, but also having such deep reverence for the way you're doing things. Kind of reflecting back on when we first started, especially, um, I think a lot of people, including buyers, thought that we were really weird at first, especially when they saw our packaging, because, you know, traditionally, um, most indoor brands have a very, a, a very specific vibe. Like they're a little more masculine and a little more loud. And so when we would present our flower and we would do these really strong OGs and we'd put them in pink boxes, that was like a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people that were used to seeing um, certain things presented a certain way. And it's funny because we got a lot of criticism for our packaging too. A lot of people were like, well, this is good flower, but you need to change your packaging. And like, it kind of hurt my feelings sometimes. I'm like, wait, are we doing something wrong? Because, you know, anytime you're doing something a little bit different and um, you get that kind of feedback and you're just this small, just starting brand, you're, you can, it can be discouraging. But um, what was great about that was, you know, well, first of all, I think whenever people have strong reactions to anything, it's kind of a good thing as long as you know, there's also the flip side, which is that, you know, we had a, a lot of really strongly positive reactions from people that really liked and appreciated what we were doing. And, and that was super encouraging. Um, and what was great about that, it was it was from all ends of the spectrum. It was people that have been users for a long time. It was people just entering the market. It was old people. It was young people. And so that was super heartening. Another room has the goods you need if you smoke weed. We may not be going many places these days, but that doesn't mean that our imagination can't travel, and we all need a little levity and creativity to fuel our journeys 
Another room's newest goods satiate our munchies with accessories shaped like burgers and a multi-city guide to local burger joints that will deliver straight to your door. For more at-home enhancement, check out the live entertainment section on the Another Room website, which includes jellyfish cams, magic shows, and other visual treats. Visit anotherroom.io to explore and stock up for your at-home adventures and follow along on Instagram at findanotherroom. Honestly, we could all be a little bit more tender towards the planet. Small businesses and designers know how challenging it can be to find environmentally friendly solutions for packaging, branding, and printing needs. To answer this struggle, broccoli designer Jennifer James Wright created A Better Source. It's a public educational directory for earth conscience creating. Become a volunteer today and help A Better Source discover new resources for its directory. Visit abettersource.org to learn more or email volunteer at abettersource.org. I mean, everything we're talking about right now isn't radically a surprise. Like, these are all elements and challenges and goals that have been on the table for cannabis brands. And most people know them and they know the buzzwords and they talk about them. But it's one thing to talk the talk and it's another thing to walk the walk. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you just think objectively outside of pure beauty, just as a consumer and a person who cares about this plant? What do you think about the responsibility that cannabis companies have to use natural resources with care to engage with real criminal justice reform, etc.? Well, I want to preface this by saying I don't claim that our walk is perfect either, Um, because every time I get on my high horse and I start like, why is this lid like five inches of plastic? And why is there 10 levels of packaging to get to this one tiny gummy? I'm just like, I have to turn the finger back on myself and be like, okay, well, everything you're doing isn't perfect. But I think it's important to at least try But I think especially for cannabis businesses, this is important because not only is there a huge spotlight on us, there's obviously the still the stigma exists for cannabis businesses. So it almost feels like we have to do everything more perfect. Um, It's kind of like women having to prove themselves and work harder even more just to sort of be equal status, you know? The flip side of that too is that we have this huge opportunity because this industry is so undeveloped. We have the opportunity to do things differently and make a statement with the way that we're doing things. Um, I think when it comes to, um, you know, things like criminal justice reform, which is obviously a huge issue in this industry, is everybody's kind of talking the talk in this space. Like everybody knows this is like the issue that we need to deal with. It's like the elephant in the room. Everybody's talking about it. And I think a lot of people do really care. I think the problem is, though, if you look at who's making all the money in this industry and who has all the power, like look at the mastheads of the top 10 or 20 companies in cannabis, Not only will you see a lack of people that have been in this industry for decades, forget people that are post-incarcerated, but just even people that have been in this industry, but also just like a general lack of black or brown people and then also women. Just looking at the stats of criminal justice, you know, there's still about, I think it's like 40,000 nonviolent prisoners right now that are still locked up. And that tells me that 
were completely failing at the walk. And I mean, this is my personal opinion, but I feel like sort of the, the bigger and more powerful companies were all responsible. But I think that the ones that have all this money and power are a little bit more responsible because, you know, with power comes responsibility. And I could go on and on about what I think the obstacles are. For one, um, licensing needs to be made more accessible. And so we need to work on making licensing accessible to people that can't necessarily afford it. It's, it's extremely, um, there's so many barriers to entry in this industry and that it's not fair. I can't even fathom how quickly our industry in Oregon would have been just like done in the first month of operation. Operations like the the players on the board would have been set so fast, and and there has been a lot of interesting things to follow. Like Oregon didn't cap things, and the problem was we have a super saturated market, and no one's making any money. But there are some people running businesses that are really contributing something of value to the community that probably wouldn't have had that chance if those licenses were snatched up and available to the highest bidder. You know, now if you look at all the shops, the demographic of the shops has completely changed from the pre-rec time to now, where before it was just like a lot of all these mom and pop shops, and, um, you know, there's a lot of character to them. And now it's way more glossy. You know, there's crazy corporate financing behind them. And yes, I think the market has evolved. There's been some benefits to that. Like, you know, the market has evolved in a lot of ways, but it's just so obvious that it's not inclusive. And it's crazy because, you know, in California, I think the black market is still like 60 to 70 percent of the market in California. And on the one hand, as a business, it's frustrating because we have to adhere to all these very cumbersome rules and taxes and stuff that makes it really hard to survive. You know, you know, we're a small business. And so we're essentially competing with the black market, which is frustrating because they don't have those rules and things to adhere to. However, um, a lot of people in the unlicensed market want to be in the licensed market. It's just too hard and too expensive. And so I feel very, you know, it's 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 very complicated and it's frustrating. I mean, you have some experience with criminal justice reform outside of cannabis before this, right? Yeah. So um, I actually went to school for um, public health and human rights. And then after that, I, you know, I worked with um, post-incarcerated populations for years in New York City with um, Fortune Society and Women's Prison Association um, until, you know, I got pretty jaded about our ability to actually affect change without a complete overhaul of the system. But um, that's for another that's for another podcast. Um, Broccoli talks revolution. The work I did then has kind of informed my perspective as it relates to this industry and, and, and things I care about. We work actually with a nonprofit called Defy Ventures. And what they do is they work with currently and post-incarcerated populations to reduce rates of recidivism. And so they do this by, they do these weekly trainings in prison that are sort of like self-efficacy and skills building trainings. For example, they work on things like resume writing, um, interviewing for jobs and things like that. But the premise of their program is that if you are incarcerated, you are very likely an entrepreneur. So they do this exercise on the first day where they're like, if you've ever run your own business, um, raise your hand. And nobody raises their own hand. And then they say, um, raise your hand if you've owned or operated an um, illegal business. And then like 80 to 90% of people raise their hand. Um, and it's cool because like this weekend, actually myself and my partner Tracy are going to be judges for like a Shark Tank-like competition where they like everyone sort of, um, has a business idea and they pitch it and then there's like 
um, you judge it and there's people that win. I love what they're doing. And um, I want to, again, like just to sort of go back to some of the stuff we talked about earlier, you know, I don't think we're doing as much as we could be doing, but I think for, you know, hopefully as we become a bigger company, we're able to do more. And as we have more kind of like bandwidth and resource, we can, we can continue to do engage in on a deeper level. And I think even like all cannabis brands need to be sort of politically aware and hopefully to the extent that we can influence policy to make this a more sort of equitable system overall. And I think a lot of people want to do more. They want to walk that walk and they they really don't know where to begin. Everyone we've talked to wants to do something. And I think that's it's just hard to know what to do and how to do it. Even with what's going on right now, I think so many of my friends are like, I want to do something. I want to volunteer. Like, how can I help? And it's just I think a lot of times it's really hard to know. Um, the best way to do that. What are other brands that you look to for inspiration of, of people who, you know, did this walk the walk in whatever industry we're talking about? I just read a book. I, I didn't finish it because it got a little um, redundant, but that's neither here nor there. But I was reading this book about, um, I don't know if you've heard of this company, Salesforce. Community is part of the core values of their company and everything that they do. So literally in everything that they do, they're trying to think about like giving back. But what I liked about the book was that his thesis was kind of like, my business is successful, not in spite of these efforts, but because of it. And I think that's like a really important thing because people kind of see this doing things positively is kind of like an aside, but really it, it, it should be the core. And I think what you're, what it's kind of saying is just like, it pays to be nice. So just be nice, you know? And I think that's just like a life value. Okay. So the kind of thesis for our conversation that I am curious to hear you verbalize, like, why is it so important to do things differently? And especially right now? It's funny because when you we first started talking about doing a podcast right now, I was sort of like, why do they want to, why does anyone want to hear from me? You know, I just sell weed. But then I was just sort of thinking about how it's actually a perfect time to talk about business practices because we're sort of in a time of reevaluation and course correction, at least. I think once this is all, once this is all said and done, we really need to sort of reevaluate how we're living our lives not just individually, but as a society and, and, and governmentally or whatever. A lot of the catastrophic things that are happening in the world right now are the direct result of business behavior and then also um, as a result of that consumer behaviors. And so, for example, climate change and, and disease spread, I think, can both be tied to those things. But in general, you know, actually, when I was studying public health, I took a, um, a course on the epidemiology of infectious diseases, and my professor was on the team that helped contain SARS. And one of the big things in that course was about how we were going to be facing more disease spread and more pandemics, largely because of things like deforestation. You know, as we're sort of burning down forests, we're burning down the natural habitats of all these animals, which carry a lot of unknown diseases. And so I think as, as um, not just businesses, we have to really understand like the impacts of, of what you're doing. But also, um, and, and in my opinion, like as a business, you should be thinking like, I should not take more than I give. That's just basic human decency. And then as consumers, we're making choices every day as to what we buy and consume. So I think we just need to be sort of like thoughtful of that. This entire time has in so many ways, just it's really forcing us to just be more thoughtful, be more thoughtful about what matters to us, what we really need, what we really care about, what we really want to see is a as an economy in a couple of years, like 
Ah, it is definitely, what did you say? It's a time of reevaluation. I think that is well said. Since people are going to be listening to this next week, closer to our special day, uh, I want to hear something kind of special. Like, can you tell me some sweet memory? It doesn't have to be 420. It could be. But tell me about like a beloved weed moment for you. Well, kind of going back to my um, perspective shifting, and this is kind of a weird example of it. You know, I've always hated papaya and um, <laughs> bear with me here. I'm going. So, um, and, and you know how sometimes when you're stoned, you kind of like see something one way or, or before you're, you know, when you're just in your normal life, you like see something one way and then you get stoned and you're just like, oh yeah, you have kind of these epiphanies. And I had this sort of like food epiphany. I was really stoned. And then my friend gave me a big plate of papaya and I was just like all of a sudden I was like this fruit is beautiful <laughs> and it's so delicious and um and I just started eating it and um what's funny about that is that after that that event like even when I was not even when I'm not stoned I like papaya now cannabis does that for me in in many ways I love that. That's a perfect little mind-opening metaphor. Well, I hope you have a very good 420, and whether or not you eat any papaya, you have get to have <laughs> some chill time with weed next week that is just for the love of weed. No, yes, I'm looking forward to it, and I hope the same for you. Thank you again. This episode was produced by Anya Charbonneau. Our music is by Giselle Garcia. And our logo design is by Jennifer Wright. Learn more about Broccoli and subscribe to the magazine at BroccoliMag.com. We appreciate you.